Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome to the Guilty as Charged podcast, coming to you live on a Wednesday morning. My name is Steven, and I am the host, as always, and joining me is my guy, Tyler. Tyler, what's up, man? How are you doing today? Great, man. I'm doing awesome. I've probably heard uh, too many holiday songs at this point. We're approaching that point of the year <laughs> where I got to start turning 103.5 off, but otherwise, I'm doing pretty good. Steven, how are you? Doing great. Uh, I have started my Christmas break, so uh, I know you guys are are starting this later this week. My my wife starts later this week, so uh, it's been good. I, I've watched and studied four draft prospects this week, so making some some good t- good use of my time off and uh, getting ahead on that front. So doing great. Holidays are uh, obviously rapidly approaching. So from Tyler and I and the rest of the Chargers channel, we wish you guys listening a very happy holidays. Hopefully, you guys have a Great time celebrating in the next week or so. I can't believe we're like a week, less than a week away from Christmas. It's just like zooming in uh, on the closing of the year. So uh, from me and Tyler and everybody else, wish you guys a happy holidays. Hopefully everybody is safe. Hopefully everybody traveling arrives at their destination and uh, has a great time celebrating with friends and family. Um, have a very busy show to get to today. Uh, obviously, the Chargers have decided to move on from Brandon Staley and Tom Telesco. Uh, this is the first time that we'll be discussing those moves today. Um, and this is obviously a point of inflection and reflection of, from the uh, franchise going on. Um, owner and chair uh, Dean Spanos said that they're going to reimagine uh, what it means to you know take part in this process and and uh, so we decided that we felt like we needed to kind of take a step back as well and reflect on the tenures of Tom Telesco and Brandon Staley. So we'll do some of that today. We've gotten a press conference from John Spanos, the president of football operations, as well as interim head coach Giff Smith. So we'll have uh, some thoughts there as well. Before we get started, uh, of course, have to say that we are uh, fans of the team, first and foremost. Uh, the opinions that we reflect on this show are not reflective of the Chargers organization. They are the opinions of Tyler and myself. We've been given this platform and are very grateful for it and are very grateful for the support from the Chargers organization as well as you guys listening. So uh, none of that would be possible without all of them. Tyler and I are very excited and, and uh, appreciative to be here. That being said, Tyler, uh, let's start with the uh, press conference from John Spanos, the president of football operations. Um, the, he went 55 minutes with local reporters. We were not fortunate enough to partake in that press conference, but we obviously have the the Cliff Notes version, if you will, the, all of the quotes afterwards. Uh, where do you kind of want to start with this? I think this was obviously the first uh, person to speak to the public from the Charger organization after the decision to move on from Brandon Staley and Tom Telesco. So what was your big takeaway from uh, Mr. John Spanos? The big takeaway. Now, there's an aspect of this where saying all the right things is saying all the right things. What occurs and what happens could be very different. We don't know. But the big takeaway, and I think what stood out to a lot of Chargers fans, was the notion that there was no discussed max dollar amount when it came to the next coach. They just want whoever is the best. And that coaching experience, while not completely necessary, is a bonus. And I think a lot of Chargers fans, if they were going to be scrolling through Eric Smith's article looking for anything, they were looking for something related to that. And so to at least hear, that they are open to bringing anyone in the best guys and that spending is you know spared no expense it's currently no issue i think that's at least encouraging for chargers fans to hear we'll see what happens yeah i think um you know we encourage on our show everybody listening to be kind of open to the process and 
you know, people have already decided that they want coach X and nobody else to be the coach of the franchise. And that's just simply not how the, the franchise is going to go about this. And I think it in particular, from a GM standpoint, Mr. John Spano said that they're going to cast a very wide net. And I think that is, is smart business, especially from a front office perspective. Um, you know, there's so many quality front office people out there. Um, you know, it, it's not just like current and former GMs that they're going to pull from, you know, there's assistant GMs, there's directors of player personnel, there's directors of, of college scouting. There's so many different ways to pull from that specific crowd. And so much focus of this current process from a fan perspective is on the head coaching front. And I think it's important to state that this GM search is probably uh, the one that comes first. You know, Tom Telesco was hired on January 9th and Mike McCoy was hired a few days after that. So, you know, we don't really know how much of a role Tom Telesco played in that hiring process because it was a pretty quick turnaround. But we've seen around the league and from previous history that the GM is going to be the one that gets hired first. So I do think it's important to point out that this this wide net is going to apply to both the head coach and the GM hirings. This isn't going to be, um, you know, they already have their candidate kind of guy. I think they are planning and rightfully so to interview several candidates from several different areas on both of those sides. And so I think it is important to point out that you know, there's not going to be one kind of candidate that they're zeroing in on right away. Like they realize, I think part of this reimagining process is to get information and input from a variety uh, of resources, if you will, on, on both of these hiring fronts. So I, I'm glad you pointed it out from a financial standpoint. The wide net, I think, is also important to to discuss here. Yes, because there are so many great candidates at both head coach opportunities and at GM and some of these guys come together as sort of like a package deal, potentially, from the same places, from the same background, from the same circles, that sort of thing. Uh, I do want to point out that he did say that the GM could go first in terms of right. being hired, and they've done that before. But it is not necessarily going to officially be that way. They're not officially saying, hey, we're going to go get a GM first and then the coach. Because like I said, some of these guys do kind of come as almost like a package deal. So I, I think that yeah. it wouldn't... The, the head coach hire might indicate who the GM hire might be as well, or even vice versa. So I think they're good with either. Um, the other thing I want to point out, of course, is that um, he said that the, the Chargers would focus around Justin Herbert as the number one priority. Is that a surprise? Not really. But I do think that may, while I do believe they'll interview many defensive head coach candidates, to me, if Justin Herbert is truly your number one priority, which he should be, then to me, you're really looking at it someone with an offensive background here. So, of course, plenty of great opportunities or plenty of great coaches out there um, from a defensive background. But to me, this does feel like offense will be the priority here today and moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the right approach as well, in my opinion. You know, they they just did the defensive coordinator thing. Obviously, Brandon Staley was a, a former quarterback. And so that vision of having somebody who could do both sides did not really come to fruition. But I, I think for as many people who want or are focusing on just like the leadership aspect of things or like, Fixing the, fixing the defense aspect of things. Those are sound approaches, and I don't necessarily disagree with those approaches. But the trends around the league are so tilted towards the offense. And you look at the current playoff picture, and the majority of the teams in the playoffs are uh, rooted with offensive coaches. I mean, this season, one of the biggest takeaways from an NFL league-wide perspective, I think, is the impact a quality backup quarterback can have. But you look at the teams who have an offensive coach with those backup quarterbacks, 
those are the ones that are really kind of leading things right now. You know, you can look at, uh, across the league in terms of like the playoff picture, you know, the Vikings, the, the Colts, these teams who have backup quarterbacks uh, are, are largely dealing with offensive coaching staffs. So I think that is a league-wide trend. The issue is obviously like how many quality candidates do you really have from an offensive side of perspective versus the defensive side of things. There's been such an influence uh, on the offensive side that it feels like we're recycling through the same kind of defensive candidates. And they're all like, hey, like, look at me. Like, I, like, I want to establish myself here. There's not really a ton of offensive guys because they've all been getting these other jobs. So I think that that's a good point as well. And that's where the money is not an issue thing really comes into play because if there's the one guy who is the top candidate, and I think Chargers fans, the consensus is that it is, is one particular individual in terms of a coordinator in the NFL right now who is the top candidate. If money is no issue, they're going to go good at that person. So again, that's regardless of what route they go, they're going to get one of the top guys, which is very encouraging. Yeah, and it, it, it's it's a job that, as we said on our channel, is is very attractive. John Spanos pointed out the fact that they've had the most expensive, one of the most expensive rosters over the last two years in terms of a cash spending output. They have the new facility in El Segundo opening up. Like they, I think we we can take that comment seriously about money being no issue because they've shown from a roster standpoint, from a practice facility standpoint, that they are very willing to spend money. And maybe that's a different case than 2021. Maybe they just really, really believed in Brandon Staley. Maybe there wasn't a real option to like go out and spend a ton of money from a coaching standpoint. But the impression that they're showing us as a franchise is that they are willing to spend money. And I do think that is going to uh, show up in the coaching search. I do want to get ahead of something regarding that front. There is a there is an offensive coordinator candidate named Ben Johnson and if he gets hired, people are going to say, like, this is another cheap hire. Ben Johnson is not going to be free. Like, he has a big, 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 big fan of his in Carolina, Mr. David Tepper. So if the Chargers are going to have to go after, go, go after Ben Johnson, it is going to cost them. It is not going to be the usual, you know, cheap offensive coordinator because Ben Johnson is going to command a lot of attention in this cycle. We'll have a lot more to cover on that front, but I didn't want to get ahead of that because I do think the money is no objective thing also applies to Mr. Ben Johnson. Yeah, I would agree there again, as I guess, spoiler as probably the number one candidate in terms of offensive coordinator, first time hires. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it'll be an issue, but story for another time. We'll get to that in a few months, I think. Yes. And we did cover our top head coaching rankings on our own channel on Saturday. So please go check that out. All right. The other press conference we want to get to is Mr. Giff Smith. I think, uh, great way to make a first impression today. If you if you missed the video, I would definitely encourage you to go check it out. Um, I think my my biggest takeaway from all of the press conferences today in the comments is that this uh, this is a move for the players. I think this is a coach who has been around the block. This is a coach who has the respect of the locker room. A coach who can build on these relationships. And I, I think Easton Stick pointed out something that's really really important is that. Giff Smith is the outside linebackers coach, but he has relationships with everybody on the team. He's not just, I'm just with Joey and Khalil and Thule and Chris Rumpf and Justin Hollins and all these guys. I'm the coach of the Chargers, and I think that's showing up in the team's decision to hire him. And I think like that aspect of how he has commanded the respect of the players is really important as an interim head coach. 
And I think that showed through today. And I think it will show through in the final three games. This team really, really, I think, is going to rally around Giff Smith from a competitive standpoint. Um, and I think that will prove that he was kind of the right choice of interim head coach. Yeah, this is a guy who's been with the Chargers through three different coaches now, um, mm -hmm. three different stadiums. He's been there for a very, very long time and knows a lot of these players. He's the longest tenured coach on the Chargers. And you can just see from the press conference why these players like him so much. I really liked how thoughtful he was with his comments. I liked how gracious he was, both talking about himself personally and then, you know, with the media. Um, and he's just got this perfect blend of self-deprecating humor. You know, when he said, <laughs> when someone asked him, you know, what do you think of the last week? And you know, how are you doing this, this big change? And he said, well, I, I wish I had lost some weight. I wish I had dropped a few <laughs> pounds before this press conference. You know, it's just that kind of stuff. I think that right combination of being very thoughtful, being, you know, very serious, of course, but also being able to find the right points of levity and to make jokes about yourself in a season where things haven't been so great. And obviously you just lost the head coach. You lost Jay Rogers, you lost Tom Telesco. I think he's just, at least for right now, the perfect leader that the Chargers need. And so I really did enjoy and I really did appreciate listening to him at the podium today. Yeah, I, I did as well. I think he made a, a great first impression. And I'm, I'm not surprised by that. Like we, we've heard like position players that, that he coaches, like Joey Bosa raves about him. Melvin Ingram raved about him. Khalil and Thule have all raved about him. We know that he's a great position coach. And I think he's earned this opportunity to lead the whole locker room. And, you know, I think it's an important aspect because these all of these players, all of these coaches, as he pointed out, have a three game season and it might not result in wins. But Giff's goal here is to right the ship from a competitive standpoint. Um, you know, he was asked about the, the Raiders game from last Thursday and, and he was like he was upfront about it. We we flushed it as a team. It was embarrassing. We're on to Buffalo, like basically. You know, that's that's the message for these team for these players right now is, is to get right for the Buffalo game and let's get back to putting out some quality film. Let's get back to competing out there. They obviously have the goal of winning games and, and that that is is not going to change, even though the, the team is is essentially out of the playoff picture. But I think Giff's mindset is the right mindset for this team right now. And I think his leadership qualities, you know, who, who knows what happens from from this point on. I, I hope that he's able to stay on the staff going forward because he is such a valuable position coach, but this is a chance for him to show, Hey, like I can lead a, an entire locker room. This isn't just, I'm good at my one job. Like I can expand my role going forward. And I think all of these coaches, all of these players have that same opportunity. I think it's, it's rightfully being led by Mr. Giff Smith. Yeah. He has certain qualities that I, I hope he does stick around because whoever the head coach is, guy has been in the league for a while, a new guy, whatever, you want to give Smith in your locker room. I think yeah. just what he provides to these players as that calming presence, but as someone who's also really, really good at his job. So you can respect him in that regard, even just at minimum, he's very, very good at his job, but you, I just, I just loved the approach he took to the press conference today. Uh, really, really solid job, honestly. And I do hope he does stick around. I hope it's like a, and it might feel like this, like a Jeff Stoutland sort of, you know, with Philly through many different hires, mm -hmm. many different coaches, over a decade, like he's just going to remain the constant there. And I think Giff Smith would do that. And frankly, I wouldn't, if, if you have Khalil Mack, Joey, Thule, whoever it is next year, you, you don't separate them from Giff Smith and, and don't separate this locker room from him either. Yeah, I think that's, that's wonderfully said. 
From a, a schematic standpoint, uh, we do have to mention also Derek Ansley has been the defensive coordinator, but obviously without Brandon Staley, he is going to call the plays. Um, John Timu is the defensive line coach now going forward without Jay Rogers. And then Robert Muschamp is essentially the outside linebackers coach going forward as well. Um, Giff said that he is going to continue working with the outside linebackers, but obviously he has a, a bigger role now. So Robert Muschamp is going to take over the the main uh, time there. You know, regarding Derek Ansley, Giff said that there's going to be some subtle changes. There's going to be an opportunity for Ansley to uh, put his fingerprints on this defense. He did also hint at some potential personnel changes, but um this again this is kind of a house money situation so if i'm Derek ansley like i'm just i'm gonna coach as free as i can i'm gonna try and get these players mm -hmm. to play as free as i can and you know he's been a defensive coordinator before in the college level um so i am excited at least curious to see what Derek ansley can do with this defense over the final three games obviously very difficult task against the buffalo bills kansas city chiefs and the denver broncos um, but what are your thoughts, Tyler, about a Derek Ansley-led defense going forward? You said it perfectly. It's house money. The Chargers, yes, they have games to lose, but they have really nothing to lose at this point. So let loose. And it seems like from our perspective, standing on the sidelines at training camp, these guys love Derek Ansley. And so I think that with just a bit of a change here with GIF, of course, and now with Derek Ansley, I think that the players would be more inspired and go play really well. I'm excited to see what happens because we just saw the most points allowed by the Chargers in NFL history. I don't think that happens again, but I'm curious how much better the Chargers defense could be. And if it's really bad, that's okay. The defense wasn't great all year anyhow. Um, but if they're better and they're really, really good and they seem to be improved and Derek Ansley, Giff Smith, are able to unlock something that maybe just couldn't be found throughout this season so far could be exciting and and i i think that while i don't know how much the chargers are going to do in terms of you know who they hire and how many coaches are back and etc cetera, etc cetera, i think these are really really solid opportunities for these coaches to go audition and be like hey look what i just did in three games with no time really here's what yeah. i did in three games here's what it looked like here's my resume like i think it's a really important one for them yeah and you know from a a bill standpoint this this specific week you know, they, they're in the middle of a playoff hunt. Like, they have a very important game against the Miami Dolphins coming up that can essentially decide the division. You know, this is a cross-country trip. Like, they, like, this is an opportunity for the Chargers to jump on them. I, I'm not saying that's going to happen. But, uh, again, if you're if you're this Chargers team coming off that game, you know, maybe the Bills do come into town with a little bit less of an emphasis on, on, on this game than people are thinking. And maybe that's an opportunity for you to, to jump on them. So, uh, go be aggressive, go, you know, let these guys play free, let, let them fly around a little bit and, and see what can happen from your, the Chargers perspective. Uh, that's, you might as well, cause you're, there's, you have three games left. You've highlighted that. And uh, it's about getting this team back to competitive, do a, a competitive results after this uh, past game against the Raiders. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens with Giff Smith and Derek Ansley going forward. Yeah, there, there's your your gift. You get to play Josh Allen, the Broncos, who just did a really good job <laughs> scoring on you, and then the Chiefs. Have fun. Yeah. yeah. You know, the NFL is a challenge. You know, mm -hmm. It's not easy over here. Hey, guys. VIP ticket packages for the first ever Super Bowl in Las Vegas are now on sale. And only On Location offers all-inclusive experiences worthy of the entertainment capital of the world. 
Ticket packages boast an array of offerings such as premium seating to the game, epic pregame parties with headline talent, NFL legend appearances, premium drinks and fare, and much more. Visit NFLonlocation.com or search NFL On Location today. Your football experience of a lifetime awaits only with On Location. All right, uh, we wanted to, like I mentioned, uh, discuss some lessons learned from the Brandon Staley and Tom Telesco era. Obviously, the Tom Telesco era spans 11 years. Um, like Tyler mentioned, three different stadiums, three different coaches. Obviously, Brandon Staley is the one head coach over the last two and three quarters of a year. Um, but we wanted to figure out what kind of reimagining might be happening going on. Obviously, the, the Chargers ownership group is going to be the ones to look for specifics here. But from our perspective, we wanted to highlight some things that uh, potentially need to change going forward and some lessons learned. So, Tyler, when you look back on these two tenures and maybe some common threads here, what's your biggest lesson uh, over the Tom Telesco and Brandon Staley eras? Easy. And I think Chargers fans have been frustrated by this for quite some time. And that's that if you choose to be a draft and develop team, you cannot avoid moving down in the draft to accumulate more draft picks. And you have to become more successful with a comp pick formula. The Chargers have given up eight draft picks since 2013 to go up in the draft to trade for a player, et cetera. The total draft value lost by those picks is 901 points, which is equivalent to about the 18th overall pick in the NFL draft. The Chargers on the flip side have only added seven compensatory picks since 2014 technically 2013 to let's go as gm you don't get the comp picks for stuff that you didn't do from the previous year so only seven comp picks in that span so you've given up eight you've lost in terms of total value the 18th overall pick in the draft and you've only gotten seven comp picks over that span where six of those years you had zero and the only really quote-unquote good one you've received was one that just had to happen because Philip Rivers moved on. They got that third round pick and they used it on Trey McKitty, which is unfortunate that 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 specific player hasn't worked out. But the Ravens, for example, have had 22 compensatory picks over that exact same span. And what they've done too is now it sort of depends on the players you let go. It sort of depends on, you know, the contracts that they receive, of course. But the Ravens have not just a a few seventh round picks and sixth round picks like the Chargers have had, a lot of fourth rounders, some third rounders, fifth rounders. The Chargers have to be better at that because you're now getting into, especially in 2025, the bulk of this Justin Herbert contract. And you have to find ways to find advantages where you didn't before. And to me, that's it, it's not easy. I know you have to find a trade partner. Things have to be correct, the boards, et cetera. But you have to find a way to trade back. You have to find a way to accumulate compensatory picks because this team is going to need it. They can't just go out and spend as much as, as they could before. The team needs these picks. And frankly, you just need the depth and you need more at-bats. You know, not every player. You could draft the exact same way in terms of hits versus misses. You could draft the exact same way. Let's say it's a third of your picks are hits and two thirds are misses. Well, if you get one or two more at-bats every draft, you are going to have more hits. Maybe the percentage yeah. doesn't increase, but you're going to have more and that's what the chargers need moving forward. So to me, that's arguably, I think been the most frustrating aspect of the entire tenure tenure and nothing obviously changed and nothing was particularly different there with the Staley era as well. So I think that needs to be a strong emphasis and change moving forward. 
Yeah, this is, you know, overall flexibility, I think, is something that needs to increase going forward. You mentioned that the draft perspective. I think you can look at ways these other contenders have uh, gained an advantage moving forward. Um, you know, everybody wants to, you know, the Lions are kind of like the the hot commodity right now, and they drafted good Jameer Gibbs in the first round. They said after the draft that they would have taken Jameer Gibbs at their current, at their uh, designated slot heading into the draft, they instead traded down and then still took him. So like, that's, that's a way that you can make up the extra margin. I don't have the exact uh, draft package in front of me, but they loved the guy. They still traded down and still were able to pick the guy that they loved. You look at what the Baltimore Ravens did in the Orlando Brown trade. Um, they moved on from a player who they didn't necessarily think was going to give them, you know, proper value. And they also didn't think that like the compensatory pick would be that, that strong. So they moved out there and they traded Orlando Brown and they took Tyler Linderbaum and Kyle Hamilton with, uh, with one of those two picks. That was the first draft. And those two players are foundational players for them right now. So those are obviously first round examples. There are other examples, right. Of moving down on the second round, moving up on the third round, like just ways for you to gain more value on draft weekend is super important. Like you mentioned, and that's the difference between, um, you know, if you have, you know, 10 draft picks, Maybe three of them are hits. Maybe four of them are are solid players. Like there's just a, a higher chance that you get stronger impact players. And this is a team that's going to have to make some really, really drastic changes from a cap standpoint next year. Like you need as many picks as possible to potentially gain a strong advantage next year. And it doesn't even have to be with first round picks. I mean, the team across town, the Rams, didn't have a first round pick last year. And yet they found four foundational building blocks in the draft because they had so many chances because they had like 12 draft picks. So again, these are extreme examples, but if you're just more flexible on draft weekend, I think you can gain such an advantage because you never, like you never know what's going to happen with these picks. You never know who's going to be the next Puka Nakua, a fifth round receiver who leads like all rookies in, in receiving yards right now as a fifth rounder. You know, it's just, it's such an advantage if you can be flexible on draft weekend. And I think in general, if you are as a general manager flexible, I think you give yourself a chance to, to, uh, you know, take advantage of the resources given to you right now. Yeah. I mean, just look at the previous draft. Uh, I know Xander Horvath is not on the team, but you have Dean Leonard, Jamari Sawyer, and Jaw Taylor with the three other picks from the sixth and seventh round. A few more at-bats at the end of day three. And you have two core special teamers in there, potential guys who could be starters moving forward. And of course, Jamari is now your starter at right guard. So phenomenal there, of course, like those things, try to find those little you know advantages later. It doesn't mean you can't give up a draft pick ever. You know, hey, you traded for Kalimak. That's a great move. That was a great move. It is currently a great move. It's paying off in terms of his production. Seems like a, a home run move, but find ways to also move back as well to accumulate as well. Have a nice balance between the two. Yeah, that that flexibility, that willingness to adapt to change, I think can can uh, pivot towards a coaching conversation as well. Um, you know, you, I, I look at coaches around the league, and the majority of them have, for the most part, come up against a moment of adversity. You know, whether it was Sean McVay last year thinking about retirement whether it was Kyle Shanahan in 2019 after a Super Bowl, like everybody, your whole roster is decimated by injuries, uh, whether it was uh, John Harbaugh, you know, dealing with all the Joe Flacco noise uh, at the end of the Joe Flacco era, I should say, 
and people calling for his job, whether every coach that you go through, whether it's, you know, Pete Carroll at USC versus now, like every coach is going to have that moment of adversity that leads to a point of reflection that leads to a moment in the off season where you have to really think about what went wrong in that specific season, what went wrong in X amount of specific seasons. And when you come to that point, I think you have to be willing to change. And I think that is an aspect that ultimately it resulted in Brandon Staley losing his job is that we all looked at the 27-0 loss, including Brandon Staley, and said that things need to change. He took the time in the offseason to reach out to some of his mentors and to go spend time with Steve Kerr. And I know that like people are kind of making fun of that from a social media standpoint, but to me, that's a smart thing. You go seek out resources and advice from people who have been through similar things. The issue is that Brandon Staley came back and doubled down on things that he really believed were core aspects of the team and really doubled down on himself, which is, you know, I don't want to make this about, you know, pile on to Brandon Staley, but if he had taken the advice of Steve Kerr and said, Hey, like, let's change some things here about the way we do business. And I'm not talking about like bringing in Kellen Moore. I'm not talking about like, you know, let's go get Eric Hendricks. Like personnel changes are naturally going to happen across your, your tenure as a coach, but like, let's change how we do things on a day to day. Let's change things how we do on a practice. Let's change how we watch film. Let's change things, how we listen to players. I think that, is such a, an important aspect of coaching is being willing to move off of ideas that are not working when those things are presented to you. And I think that 27-0 loss last year should have resulted in more uh, coaching changes, not jobs, but like from a day-to-day -day coaching aspect, it should have resulted in a change of day-to-day of -day operations. And I don't think it really did that it led to some changes of personnel and scheme and, and coaching staff. But I think when you come up with that moment from adversity, you've got to take it head on and make some changes as the head coach, not like the people around you. Yeah, we completely agree with that. I think the, it was a very tough year in terms of the on-field product for the defense in terms of what you hear from the quotes from some of the players yeah. publicly, like in post-game interviews, that sort of thing where like, you can tell there's just a struggle. Like, I'm not getting this. I, it's not working. We need to do something different. And, you know, then you look at the numbers. We've discussed Shannon Entropy in terms of how complex the defense is and responsibilities. The complexity didn't change. The rotations were still there. Guys were still rotating in the secondary. Yeah. And the percent of perfectly covered plays by the defense was still very, very low. I, I do wonder how much of the previous two coaches of the Telesco tenure, so Mike McCoy and Anthony Lynn, I do wonder how much of the lack of second half of their tenure success was just on not being able to take that next step or make a, a certain change because what worked initially, right? Both of them won playoff games in their first two years, McCoy in the first year, Lynn mm -hmm. in his second year, whatever worked initially worked, but then there was that season of adversity in that third year and they never just quite were able to find their footing or find something that worked. And obviously there's many other reasons um, injuries, for example, you know, trying to change between quarterbacks with with Rivers and Herbert, you know, things like that. But I, I just I wonder how much of the other coaches not being able to to grow or or adapt to a changing NFL contributed to them not finding success in year three and four. 
Yeah. Final point here. Jordan Rodrigue, uh, who covers the Rams for the athletic, uh, did a, a wonderful series on the, uh, the Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay kind of coaching trees. She called it the play callers. If you missed it, I, I would strongly encourage you to go check it out. It's wonderfully done and it gives a ton of insight into the meta that is, you know, the Shanahan McVay coaching tree right now. And, you know, the, the obviously Zach Taylor and, and Matt LaFleur and Mike McDaniel and Bobby Slowick and D'Amico Ryans, like all these guys, Robert Sala, all these guys come from that coaching tree. It's it's the most popular coaching tree in the NFL for a reason, I think. And a lot of that is is dived into in that series. But one thing that really stuck out to me in kind of because Jordan Rodriguez was on The Athletic again this week and, and like she brought back up some of her points. And so it just made me think of it. Um, but one thing that really stuck out to her and to me is that Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay essentially every two years will, will seek out new ideas from a teaching and coaching standpoint. And basically every two years they are changing things internally, whether that is scheme, whether that is teaching strategies, whether that is coaching staff, basically every two years, they are looking out and seeking out the next big thing, the next, you know, cutting edge, the next advantage that they can gain. Um, Jordan Roderick pointed out that, you know, uh, Sean McVay this past off season went out and, and, and brought in some former Patriots assistants, which was like kind of weird, right? That like people are trying to pull from the Patriots offense, but like they went and got the Patriots tight end coach. They went and bought, brought in an assistance offensive line coach because Sean McVay was going to revamp his rushing attack and go from very outside zone heavy to very gap heavy. And we're seeing that the fruits of that with Kyron Williams, being one of the top rushers in the league. So I think that aspect of innovation and change is necessary for, for effective head coaches because you, you can't just keep doing the same things over and over again every single year. And I think that lack of that adaptability is one of the reasons why the Chargers haven't been able to find that long-term coach because they just want to stick to the thing that they know best, the things that they know will work for them. And I just don't think that's how the NFL works. I think every two years, you probably have to be looking for the next thing to to change as a coach. Yeah, it's all about punch, counterpunch in the NFL. And I think Brandon Staley, what he brought in initially was great. It was the innovative thing. It was the next thing. Yeah. The Chargers organization, I, I think, honestly, just from that year and looking at the hire, did the right thing because they were trying to find the next cutting edge thing. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, not that every coach has to always have the new thing but you got to keep trying to find re ways to rework yourself um unfortunate that it never really paid off um that it never really became something i even feel like the things that were the the cutting edge thing you know obviously the, the going for it stuff that kind of personality those things kind of went away once that edge was lost and there was no other thing to replace it uh, or, or no other different kind of edge that they found i think that's, that's partially why the the team suffered a bit the last couple of years yeah, I think that's totally fair. All right, Tyler, what's your uh, other lesson here that you uh, want to touch on? It, player retention needs to be better. And I know it's not that easy, of course, with new head coaches means you get new guys. You know, you, you bring in your guys or guys that fit your scheme. And I, I totally understand that. So when you've had different coaches over the last, you know, decade plus, of course, you're going to get some roster turnover. But the Chargers have only brought back of their 46 draft picks that were going to hit free agency. They've only brought back seven and it really wasn't all that much. Um, it was basically only first rounders in Keenan Allen. 
until this past year with Trey Pipkins and Easton Stick. Like that was a big change. The Chargers <laughs> definitely had not done that. And yeah. now you have the 2020 class up and odds are the only person returning is Justin Herbert. Um, I could understand why and there's plenty of different reasons why. Um, but overall, I just think the turnover is just too much sometimes. And maybe you're looking for the next best thing. You know, grass is always greener sort of thing. But sometimes that continuity is can be very beneficial. And heck, you could argue, even with a coordinator like Shane Steichen, perhaps continuity would have been the best thing rather than seeking what was the next best thing. I understand why they moved on. Um, but maybe perhaps looking back in hindsight, continuity and retention could also apply to coordinators. I think that's especially relevant given what's going on right now with the current Chargers staff. I just think the Chargers have... You know, they never found like a tight end after Hunter Henry left. They never found uh, another slot to really stabilize the position after Desmond King was traded. There's many reasons for that. The linebacker core maybe hasn't quite been the exact yeah. one-two punch that they wanted because of all the turnover there. You know, they let Justin Jackson walk. They still haven't quite found that same RB2 to match his production, that sort of thing. Um, they found kickers. They found a kicker. Finally, that's the one thing that they have not retained whatsoever. They two kickers. They finally found... Year. Yeah, amazing stuff. Uh, two kickers, not bad. So I just think that retention needs to be better. Not that it's a requirement for all players. You don't have to retain players for the sake of retaining them. But I think that year to year, if you're constantly trying to change the pieces over and over again, you know, we hear so much, oh, well, it's just year one of him with this team in this system. In year two, it's going to be better. But then if they're gone in year two or they don't get a chance to really settle in that, that system, then we're always going to be in the cycle of, oh, it's just his first year in the system. Oops, system didn't work. Defense didn't look good. Offense didn't look good. So I think the retention has to be improved um, at least a little bit moving forward. Yeah, and there, like you mentioned, there's going to be some natural change that the team can't help. Like they're going to have to make some very hard, difficult decisions this year that it's going to change, lead to big changes from the roster perspective. But that doesn't have to mean you change over the the bones of the roster also, like you can, you can have the change. You can bring in, you know, the, the guys that this specific coach wants in the new year, but maybe you keep a guy like Alohi Gimmon because he's such an important glue guy in the secondary. Maybe you keep a guy like Kaiser White because he's such an important glue guy in the linebacker room, etc. You know, um, it, Will Clapp would have been another example of that, but I don't like his injury is just, I don't know. We don't know specifics or anything like that. But he's a guy, too, that I think would have been great for, like, continuity going forward with the new regime. And, and obviously, he's, he's beloved by the team. So I, I think I, I've always understood why, like, you know, coaches come in, you want to get your own guys. Like, it makes sense, like, especially when you're going through, like, such a drastic scheme change. Um, but that doesn't mean you have to get rid of everybody. You can keep some of the, the other core pieces. And I think it just helps with roster continuity, like you mentioned there. Um, my last one that I wanted to touch on is kind of a lesson, but also like a, yeah, I, I guess applies to like the current head coach, head coaching uh, search campaign is that you, you don't have to have experience being a head coach to be a successful head coach, but I think you have to have experience around you. And what I mean by that is if you hire a first-time coordinator uh, to be your new head coach, I think it can be very successful. Obviously, we've seen that around the league. But I think that first-time head coach needs experience around him. And I'm not just talking about, like, been in the league for a long time. I'm talking about, like, former head coaching experience. So there are a lot of uh, 
coaches this year that might be on the move. There are a lot of former head coaches that are uh, current position coaches, things like that. And hiring those guys to be your coordinators, to be your uh, wide receivers coach, to be your passing game coordinator, your run game coordinator, whatever the case may be. I think having those coaches who have that head coach experience on your staff in some capacity just makes things so much easier for you. Um, you know, for whatever, you know, whatever you think of him as, as the head coach, right? I think one of the smartest things Anthony Lynn did was have an offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator who both had that previous head coaching experience. And obviously, it, it, Gus Bradley's tenure in Jacksonville and Ken Wilson's tenure in Arizona weren't like super successful, but like they have that experience. They know what that, that process is like. And I think it just helps you as a young head coach to be able to lean on those guys, because it's one thing to lean on somebody who's been in the league for a long time. It's another thing to lean on somebody who's gone through that. And even like negative experiences like Gus Bradley's in Jacksonville can be a big help for you as a first time head coach. So I think that applies to, you know, the current head coaching search. I think it applies to fans because I don't think you necessarily have to have that experience to be a, a viable head coaching hire. I think you can go out and seek out that experience. And I think that applies to the adaptability, the flexibility, the taking on change aspect that we're all, we're all talking about today. Um, so if the chargers go out and hire a first time head coach, that first time head coach, I think should go hire some experience, like go buy the areas that you might lack as mm. an individual head coaching candidate by going out and getting a quality staff around him. I think the hiring of a staff is the most underrated aspect of the head coaching position. And I think having that experience around you just think, makes things so much easier. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. You know, great leaders are the ones who find their weaknesses and just surround them with people who are really, really good in those areas. Um, and I think, you know, part of it's uh, retaining some of the staff, but like Shane Steichen for the Colts, for example, dangerous for me to just look at one example and find exactly what I was looking for. But Shane Steichen in year one, very successful, could be coach of the year without their starting quarterback even playing for them had Gus Bradley, like you mentioned, had 34 years of experience, Jim Bob Cooter, um, 16 years, Brian Mason, 14 years. I was, because I'm a nerd, I looked through their coaching staff and the Colts staff has 21 players who by the end of this year will have a decade of experience in the NFL. And I'm mm -hmm. not surprised then, given one, who Shane Steichen is and two, the veterans around him, that the Colts have been able to just, I mean, they lost their first round pick, their quarterback, their future, and they're going to make the postseason. And I don't think it's any coincidence that this staff is such a veteran staff with guys who have obviously been in the league for a while, but also someone like Gus Bradley, who's been a head coach, who's been there, done that. Uh, no surprise that the Colts have been, remained very stable. So I'm I, like you, I'm looking for something like that moving forward as well. Yeah, and you mentioned the Colts, right? Like the, the Rams hired Sean McVay, and he went out and got Wade Phillips to be his defensive coordinator. That's true. Um, Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh, he had Todd Haley as his offensive coordinator for a while. Again, these things don't always hit, right? Like Todd Haley in Pittsburgh was not a super resounding success. But I think it just in general, it makes things easier when you have those guys to to bounce ideas off of. Um, obviously, there are situations that, you know, your your Rolodex is a little limited. But I think in general, it's a sound idea to go out and hire some experience. You know, there's a lot of coaches that change every single year. Um, there's going to be a lot of guys 
in this current cycle who are up for coordinator positions who have previously head coaching positions or head coaching experience, offensive coordinator experience. I think it just makes things that much easier. All right, Tyler, uh, any uh, other final thoughts before we head out for today? That's it, man. Um, we'll, we'll talk, I'm sure, more over the next coming weeks and months, et cetera, about the Chargers moving forward. But for now, Chargers fans, enjoy Saturday. Enjoy the holidays. Stay safe. Yes, 100%. Uh, and like I mentioned earlier, if you want to go see our head coach candidate rankings, we did have that conversation on Saturday on our channel. So please go uh, make sure and check that out. Um, make sure and subscribe to this channel and our own over there at the Good Leads Charge podcast. We greatly appreciate your guys' support. We greatly appreciate the Chargers organization for having us on the channel. That being said, we'll see you guys next week. And as always, hold up.